0: Welcome to Warriors Off-Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Bram Hilsman, host of the popular Warriors Huddle podcast. During our conversation, we fielded readers pressing questions. Bram, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Uh, Lately, we've been doing a lot of Zoom calls for the podcast, but we're actually in person today. You made the schlep over from oakland to wonderful beautiful alameda we are in my muggy hot apartment um so i appreciate you taking one for the team and, and coming out here My pleasure.
1: Uh, Let's see. From the top, excellent use of the word schlep. Uh, There are so few opportunities I have found to use that word. Secondly, I hate Zoom recordings, man. They're so awkward. Um, That's true in every context of my life. Absolutely true podcasting. But there's a little bit of a downside doing this in person. Um, I I know that you don't have COVID. I'm not worried about the social distancing. But this is the hottest place I've ever been in my life. I don't know what it is you do in this house. It's like a lava factory. But from the moment I've been in here, I've been sweating, so if I stop talking to audience out there, it's because I finally passed out. Now that said, dude, it's so great to be back.
0: The the interesting thing about this apartment is it's always hotter than it is outside, and it's all and when it's cold,
1: it's always colder than it is outside. I've only experienced one of those. And if you took this apartment and put it next to the surface of the sun, I would prefer be on the surface of the sun to cool down. Um so we're doing uh we're doing a mailbag
0: pod uh this week and it's been nice because there's actually somewhat of stuff to talk about. Um, you know, we, we, we went through months of doldrums of absolutely nothing. How much have we talked about the NBA draft already, which is not until November. Uh, but there's mini camp happening right now. They are practicing together down in San Francisco. Um, now Steph and Draymond aren't there, so that's, that's you know, some huge missing pieces. But at least they're together. At least we're, we're, we have people to talk to every day. I talked to Steve and Kai Bowman earlier today. Um one of the things that I did not get a question about on the podcast or, or for the podcast but I thought we should talk about is Jonathan Simmons. Now, anyone who has followed the NBA for the past few years is probably decently familiar with Jonathan Simmons. He was a really solid rotation player a few years ago for the Spurs when they had those good teams with Kawhi and he ended up parlaying that into a big contract with Orlando and then has bounced around the league a little bit to the point where he was actually out of the league. And then last February, Santa Cruz Warriors picked him up, put up numbers for them, and now he's in minicamp with several other Santa Cruz Warriors with Golden State. And Steve Kerr was just gushing today about Jonathan Simmons. He was saying he is very much still an NBA player. He has a lot to give. He's so athletic. He's really good defensively. You know, and then he was asked flat out, does he have a chance to make the team? And he he basically said yes. Um, so, you know, entering minicamp, the conversation had been who are those fringe guys? You know, um, there and there were three guys from last season's team, Michael Mulder, Kai Bowman and Juan Descona Anderson. Who of those guys is going to make next season's team? Now I think you got to throw Simmons in there.
1: I think you gotta make Jonathan Simmons the favorite out of that group. And I'll tell you who he reminds me of. Um, he reminds me of Marquise Chris entering last year's training camp. And the similarity is what we're looking at is a player with legitimate NBA skills who got lost in a system that didn't know how to evaluate those skills. When we saw Simmons as a spur under Pop, he wasn't just a good player, he was a guy who was a warrior killer. We saw him have huge games over and over again at Oracle. Then he goes to Orlando for disappears into a system that didn't know how to use him so if the Warriors are lucky enough to pluck him out out of nowhere and especially considering you and I've talked a bunch of times about the wing as a position of need for Golden State if we get lucky and this guy's here and as good as I remember him not only is he a roster option I think he should be a favorite
0: yeah no I think it's it's as soon as I saw that santa cruz signed him in february i was like that's really interesting you know that's not a normal g league signing this is a guy who was not only in the nba but he was a good nba player for a great system and i think he's a good example of how a lot of times in the nba it's all about situation and fit it's not actually about someone's ability all these guys are so talented and in san antonio he found a really good fit for his skill set he's someone who's really good uh curling off screens and cutting toward the rim and knocking down that open mid-range jumper and that was perfect for what san antonio needed him to do then he goes to orlando where uh under steve clifford it was kind of disorganized offensively and he kind of got lost in the shuffle didn't shoot very well and sometimes that's all it takes i mean and this is not a guy who has any question marks about his character about uh he's never gotten in trouble or anything like that uh, he just had one bad shooting year and here
1: we are Here, here he is in this situation. Good teams define roles, Connor. Um, That's one of the things I think you can you can distinguish a franchise that doesn't have a definite direction and a franchise who's on its way towards a dynasty. They can go to their players and say, "This is exactly what we need from you." When they did that for Simmons in San Antonio, he delivered everything they asked him to do. He did. I don't know about Orlando. My perception is that they don't necessarily have defined roles there. He got lost in the shuffle. If he can come here and they specifically tell him this is what they need. Let's say they ask him to do what they asked Alfonso McKinney to do. Jonathan Simmons. He's better th- than Alfonso McKinney. Absolutely. Yeah. And he will be able, to, if if they can define his role, which Golden State has always been able to do, I think we're going to see success out of this guy. And again, yes, I think he'll be on the roster. Yeah.
0: And he's 31, but, you know, he's still in great shape. I don't I don't think that should be... A concern, so it's a, it's a nice story. Um, I personally really like Michael Mulder too, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we're not even sure there's going to be any roster spot available, but I do think Jonathan, who actually left camp today, they scrimmaged today and apparently he did pretty well. And then he, uh, he had a family issue he had to go attend to, but I think he did enough in this past week to at least warrant a training camp invite, and then anything can happen from there.
1: I know that you just did an article on him, and this isn't just a tease and inviting people to check it out on the Chronicle. It was a really good piece. And the reason I bring it up is I assume that you spoke to him. What's his mentality? You know, is this a guy who's pissed off right now that the league forgot about him and he's kind of bitter? Is this a guy who's viewing this as an unbelievable opportunity and is going to try to take advantage of it? What was your perception? It was interesting because,
0: you know, in those type, when I'm doing those types of stories, I, I ask the obvious questions of like, how would it feel to make it back to the NBA? You know, I'm kind of looking for that narrative arc, you know. And he's, his response was like, honestly, man, I haven't even really thought about it like that. Like, well, he comes from a really, really rough neighborhood in um Houston. He's from the fifth ward. Uh, George Floyd was from the third ward. I'm sure we all read about his background. Um, so he's from a really rough neighborhood in northeast Houston. And he went to a high school that doesn't even exist anymore because it was so low functioning. Uh, a sociologist went and, when he was there, went and wrote a story, uh, wrote a book about low performing high schools, and used his high school as the case study. Um, and I actually read about this. They his high school, forty percent of students who were freshmen didn't make it to their senior year. Um, and actually, sixty percent, because only forty percent made it to their to their senior year. And so he grew up in kind of a helpless environment. Um, his single mom with five with four kids. And so he said that you grow up in that environment, you don't really have goals. Like you don't think about the future. You don't have that luxury. You're just trying to like get by day to day. And so he's like, I didn't even think I was going to graduate high school. Then he ended up going to junior college, playing a year at University of Houston. And then when he left Houston, um, everyone assumed, everyone was shocked because he had no chance of getting drafted. I mean, he wasn't a very good Houston team. He was their leading scorer, but he wasn't on any mock drafts or anything. But he's like, I left because I'm not really a school guy, and I just wanted to go play basketball, and I had no expectation of making the NBA at all. I was just like, I'll go find some team overseas. He played in, like, a minor league in Sugarland, Texas, and then... Uh, ended up making the San Antonio Spurs G League team Through like an open tryout um, So it's an incredible story But I say all that to say that You know, he isn't thinking big picture Just because of where he comes from And I think sure. it was an interesting, you know Conversation, yeah Yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, So getting into the mailbag questions We got we got a few really good ones here um, The first one is from at Tim Loudly with the Lakers seemingly seeming like they're on the precipice of a title. Give sorry, it's, there's a lot of misspellings here, <laughs> so I'm, I'm struggling to read this. With the Lakers se- seeming like they're on the precipice of a title, given Miami's injuries, what moves do the Warriors need to do to combat their huge front court in the future?
1: First, let me say, Tim, that wasn't that poorly written. I have no idea why he wasn't able to read it right from the jump. I'm reading over his shoulder, and I was able to read it fine. So I blame Connor, not you, Tim. Um, Secondly, I'm going to flip this question. Uh, So a little while back, and I believe the question came from a friend of both this podcast and the Where's Huddle podcast, Wes Goldberg, your boy, asked – Steve Kerr, what they had to do to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, what they would have to do to keep up with with teams like L.A. Um, I'm sorry, he asked this to Bob Myers, not to Steve Kerr, and what Bob's response was was that he didn't think they were there yet, Um, and the way I took it was not that they weren't good enough to compete with the Lakers, conversely... He thought that the Lakers, I'm sorry, that the Warriors were still good enough, where they didn't have to shape their roster to beat other people. Yeah, they continued to play their style of ball, and the rest of the league has to catch them, not the other way around. So let's say the Lakers are able to finish off their asterix title, and I absolutely believe that it does deserve an asterisks. We go into next year, and the Warriors bring back everybody healthy. I think their focus should be bringing back Warriors basketball and Kerr's system, and let's see if the Lakers can stay with us, not the other way.
0: Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of people a lot of people assume that with the Lakers you you need to combat their size, and I understand the question, but um, by asking that question, you're you're assuming that the Lakers should dictate the style of play, um, and the Warriors, like you said, aren't don't they want to dictate the style of play and you know if the Warriors stay in their kind of small ball mode and don't necessarily add a seven another seven foot center there's that isn't necessarily going to be a bad thing for them because the the Lakers have to combat their speed and their agility so um you know it's kind of it's kind of like pick your poison but um that being said when you're looking at the Lakers I don't look at it like you need a bunch of size I look at it as you need people who are going to be able to defend LeBron and Anthony Davis. And right now, I'm not sure the Warriors do. So that's more the, the question, right? Is, you know, who can you get who can not stop LeBron, but at least make life difficult on him? Andre was that guy for a long time, and he's no longer with the team. And I don't think there's anyone that's close to that. I mean, Clay can probably do some of that uh, but he doesn't know so much offensively you don't want to wear him out too much and he's not necessarily big enough to body up LeBron right the right so um and then in terms of the front court with Davis I mean it's going to be tough uh, you're I actually think Draymond would be their best matchup right now on on Davis even though he's way smaller I think he could make life difficult on him but uh, they're going to need to add guys, and it and there was some big news yesterday. Um, Marcus soul who we've talked about on the pod as as kind of a a wish list item for the mid level, ahead of the wish list item for the mid level,
1: right? I mean, he was like, he's the one guy. He was, it.
0: yeah. We've talked a lot about like that would be the perfect guy to get on the mid level, and there were, I think I said on my in my tweet yesterday rumblings. And full disclosure, when I say rumblings, I mean that I hung out with Bram a week or two ago. Was it two weeks ago? About two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and we went to a sports bar in Oakland, and uh, one of the owners of the sports bar, who's who Bram's friends with, came up to us and was like, "So I hear that Marcus Soul's going to go to Spain." I was like, I, "What are you talking about? I haven't heard anything about that." Uh, but I, he went down some like Reddit rabbit hole where they we were talking about this and he was right because apparently Marcus Soul is signing in Spain so shout and, out to um, my
1: boy Ezra also Connor's impersonation of himself was just incredible right there um, that's in fact the exact vocal inflection he used uh, when it whenever said,
0: I say something dumb, that's how my. that's how it sounds. comes out. it's weird. That's it's weird that it changes weird.
1: on its own, but it, it doesn't yeah. fact happen. and to give you a little bit of background on this Connor, when I saw you tweet out about rumblings, I immediately laughed to myself and thought, I'm pretty sure those rumblings started at the Oakland Athletic Club <laughs> with a random reddit tweet. but whatever, you know that that's fine. this is how news gets made. but let me ask you this, um, and if you don't feel comfortable, answer and I understand uh but I just loudly proclaimed there should be a bold asterisk put on whoever it is who wins this championship do you agree with that I honestly don't um I I
0: would have said that before the bubble happened but I've been so impressed by the level of play um you know they've they've been playing it's been very competitive basketball it's been at a really high level now that being said if it had been under normal circumstances, would the Heat have made the finals? Probably not. But I I, I do believe that they deserve full credit for getting here. I, I think they've done – I think they're very deserving given the circumstances. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to put an asterisk on this at all. So I
1: think that your response underlines why there should be an asterisk. And it's what you said, normal circumstances. So when I say asterisk, I don't mean that whoever it is who wins this, probably the Lakers – didn't get an actual championship they deserve all the credit everybody faced the exact same circumstances and they came out on top so it's a championship hook line and simper our hook line and sinker absolutely but when I use the phrase asterisk really what it indicates is that there was something different that people in the future need to know about this year that's what an asterisk right. means right we gotta you gotta know a little something about this otherwise you're not getting the full picture well God, if there's if there's ever been a season where there's more things different than this year, I don't know when it would be. There's no travel, there's no fans, there was less regular season games. There like everything that you had to tweak to make this season happen is exactly why we require the asterisks. Again, they're the champions, right. but there's just there's objective differences in this year that need to be remembered as we go forward. There's no question about that. We'll have more of my conversation with Bram Hilsman
0: right after the break. Our next question is from at RWClark2. Uh, what would it take for the Dubs to trade up for the number one pick to select Anthony Edwards? Um, and it's an interesting question. You did a great job reading that one, by the way, Connor. Nicely done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's an interesting question because, as I have said, I, I do believe that uh, – if they if Anthony Edwards is available, they'll take him at number two. And that if they had got the number one pick, they would they would probably take Anthony Edwards. Um, there was a report that came out this week from Bleacher Report, uh, basically saying that the Warriors have concerns about Anthony Edwards' lack of winning. Um, huh. And you know his his team at Georgia did not do very well. His high school team like what, what actually wasn't that great. Um, that is contrary to everything I've I've heard uh, with the Warriors. Now, they're aware of the fact that his team wasn't good, but it's not a major concern because they understand the circumstances that led to those results. I mean, they had nine freshmen on that team. It, yeah. it wasn't a good team sure. to begin with, but um, and you can be an incredibly talented player if you have no one around you. You're not going to win games in a competitive conference. And his high school team, same deal. Um, it was not a basketball powerhouse. It was it, They played a national schedule solely because they, they had him. So they were playing these elite teams when their only good player was him. So um, I think that NBA scouts, including the Warriors, are smart enough to take all that into account. Sure. And I don't honestly think that's going to dissuade them to draft him if he is available at number two. I don't think he will be. Um, trading up to number one, honestly, it's not something I've thought a lot about, um, because I just don't think that they like Anthony Edwards, but I don't think they like him enough to part with another asset to go get him. Um, I think there's a lot of other guys, not a lot, uh, I think there's a few other guys that they like as much if if not or or at least close to as much as they like Anthony Edwards so I don't think they're going to try to trade up to number one I think if Edwards goes number one to Minnesota that they'll be completely content to either trade back in the lottery or
1: Mm -hmm. draft someone at number two you are not alone in not thinking about trading up number one, and there's a reason for that. Um, all of the Warrior news surrounding this draft has been, can they trade back, right? And the mm-hmm. rationale behind it is there is no Zion in this draft. Yeah. There's not that one guy who you push all the chips into the middle of the table and make sure you go again. So if that's true, and the Warriors are sitting at two, there's no need to give up extra assets for a person that they're not positive is going to be a superstar. There's just not. If if Edwards slips to them, excellent. Right. If he does you know, unless we're talking like a second rounder in twenty thirty-five, you know, th- right. there's no real need to give up something of
0: value. Um so our next question is from at Wittaglizzy, and and I shout out to At Wittaglizzy. I feel like you you ask a question every week and I really appreciate it. And great Twitter
1: handle. <laughs> I'd say probably the best Twitter I handle. I love on it. List. I love it.
0: Um why not Okuro as the pick? um will will he'll plug a need for athleticism defense from day one no questions asked and has nice ball handling ability
1: um i would draft a air conditioner for your house first and foremost <laughs> i'm not sure if there's one available at two but if they do have it i think the warriors should draft it and put it in here
0: um we're burning up over here uh i don't know if you can hear it in our voices but we're dying you might a be able bit. to hear my pants being uh, on fire. you know it's a it's an interesting question um you know, Okuro is a guy who I talked a, a decent amount about a few months ago. Um, but in my more recent conversations with people around the Warriors, um, I don't think he's in serious contention to be drafted at number two. If they if they trade back in the lottery, I think there's a chance if, if if he's available in like the seven to ten range, maybe they give him a look. But it would only it would only be if other guys they like aren't there. Um, he. The thing about Isaac Okuro is I think he has a chance to be a really good defender, but it is really hard to project college players to the NBA on defense. Um, sure. Defensively, it's so different. Now, I, I feel pretty confident in saying he's going to be a good NBA defender, but hes you can't be so confident in that assertion that it makes it okay that he brings very little offensively. I think when you're talking about the number two pick, you need someone that can make – that can create their own offense, that can play make. Um, And he can't do that at this point. Um, I I don't see him ever being more than a complimentary option offensively. Um, And I think when you're talking about that type of range, like number two pick, I think you need someone who can do it all. And uh, so I don't see him going at number two. Um, You know, a guy who is similar to him that I think is more likely to go to the Warriors is Devin Vassell out of Florida State. I uh, really like him. Um like I too. I well, Wes Goldberg would tell you that he should go number 2. My my argument would be they sh- they should seriously look at Vassell if they trade back into like the 5-8 to eight range. Yeah. Um I don't I think he'd be a reach at 2, but um he's a great three-point shooter. He's much better offensively than Isaac Okoro. He is arguably better defensively than isaac okuro so i i would if you're gonna if you really want like a good wing defender i think you should be looking at Devin Vassell instead of isaac okuro um our next question is from at gsw fanatic i'd really like to hear how Mulder is doing in the bubble i feel like he has a great chance to be a rotation player come playoff time next year as his confidence from last year could catapult him into a solid player he has a quick release and gets the shot out and gets the, his shot off and plays good D. That is some high praise for Michael Mulder. Uh, meaningful playoff minutes. Wow. Okay. I mean, anyone who's watching the playoffs right now should understand that there's a very big difference between playing rotation minutes in the regular season and playing rotation minutes in the playoffs. Kendrick Nunn, who was a very very good player for the, for the Heat during during the regular season, averaged 15 points per game is struggling to get a meaningful minute in the playoffs. And it's because in the playoffs, when all the stakes are on the line, coaches shorten up their rotations. And one thing I've said a lot is the the, the most important thing about this offseason for the Warriors is going to be bumping up their, their bench, You know, improving their bench. Um, right now, I think they only have six top seven guys, maybe, that you can feel – maybe five or six, actually – uh, guys that you can feel comfortable playing meaningful minutes in the playoffs and i think you need to get that number up to eight or nine uh t- to feel good going into next season because hopefully the focus next season is not going to be on what their regular season record is it- it's whether or not they win the title and uh i don't i don't think as as much as i like michael Mulder, and personally i, I really do like michael Mulder and i think he's a great story i don't see, you see him ever being one of those eight guys um he's actually facing an uphill battle in terms of just making the 15-man roster especially with simmons yeah uh keep in mind that he doesn't have a guaranteed contract and so uh even though he had a good 10-day contract with the warriors before the shutdown he could very well be back in the g league next year or he could be on a 2a contract um he's gonna have to beat some odds to even make the 15-man roster so speaking of molder though like what do you think of, of his game, and, and do you think that he he should have a legitimate shot at the 15-man roster?
1: So I am first going to go back to my boy, uh, Witteglizzi, because you boxed me out of that question. I wasn't able to answer anything about Okoro. I'm just going to say, oh, really. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, you bastard. I mean, you bastard. Was it the fact that I gave you crap about reading the other ones? I take that back, man. My, my apologies. But remarkably fast, Witteglizzi, the idea of asking why not Okoro is the pick is exactly why the Warriors are considering trading down. Um, that that there isn't somebody at that number two slot who deserves a number two selection is why we're looking at five through eight. For Mulder, I'll tell you what I'm impressed by, man. Um, You and I both attended a Zoom press conference with Michael Mulder a couple of days ago. And those things are as awkward as you would imagine. Um, You know, all of us, everybody, not just uh, reporters, not just Basketball players, everybody out there is getting used to doing their job at a socially distanced level, right? And most of us are using Zoom and it's awkward as hell. Well, that's true in the NBA. Um, that for these press conferences, players are showing up on Zoom and then the reporters are being asked to, to ask them questions in that super awkward environment. So Mulder gets up there and there's two things that really impressed me. The first was he was able to deal with it. You know, there's like weird and random fits of silence and then people talking over each other. And and he was fine with that and gave a number of, of responses that were well thought out. But the second, and I'm not sure if we'll have to cut this, but... The focus right now has been on Clay Thompson's participation in the what they're calling the double, and for good reason. We're all excited to hear news yeah. about him. And one of the things they asked Mulder about was did he play, did Clay play in the scrimmage that day? And Mulder said no. Right. Later on in the day, other people, news came out that Clay, in fact, did play. Yeah. And what I've imagined is they told Mulder, look, we don't necessarily want that news to come out, and that he was able to handle that as seamlessly as he did. Impress me. It really did. So, I don't
0: I, know. I think it was more of like a semantics thing because we asked if he, if he scrimmaged, and what I ended up finding out later is that he participated in a controlled scrimmage, and I can understand why someone like Michael Mulder might think that a controlled scrimmage isn't a real scrimmage because yeah, yeah. a controlled scrimmage you you can like stop and start, and okay. you're not actually going up and down the court like that.
1: Well, if he wasn't willingly and capably lying to reporters, <laughs> then I I mean I'm I'm gonna go. Back to the previous topic, as much as I like him and as much as I enjoyed watching him last year, I'd prefer Simmons. Um, I'm not positive he'll be on the roster, uh, and that's a practical reality.
0: Yeah, Uh, this is a guy who, he's a good shooter, but he's not an elite shooter. He's a good defender. He's not an elite defender. I don't think he has, like, an elite NBA skill. He he averaged, like, four points per game at Kentucky. And look, it's Kentucky, but, you know, he's he's already beat the odds just to be here yes to be in this conversation so um if you're talking about athletically and at the end of the day the nba is all about athleticism john it's not even close i mean jonathan simmons is in his own category um so it'll be interesting but i do think that's i do think that molder especially if they end up having two open spots has a chance i think that steve Kerr loves him just huh. like personally i think there's a lot of huh. like steve Kerr in his game huh and i think they kind of bond over that um so, our last question. Do you think there's a case for taking Avdia over Edwards if Minnesota takes ball? Avdia has the highest floor and seems to be a safer bet to reach his ceiling. Is Edwards' ceiling so much higher than Avdia? The navdia is that one must roll the dice on Edwards.
1: Is that how you say his name? Because I've been saying Avija over and over again and now I feel... Yeah, I I profiled
0: him the other day and I learned that that's how you pronounce it.
1: I knew that I was just testing you and you've (laughs) passed my test, Connor. Nicely played. Um, Here's what I will say on the draft stuff and it's going to go right back into what we were saying with Okoro. Um, There doesn't seem to be one player at the two spot who separated themselves out. Edwards, if he slips to two, but common knowledge he's to be is going to Minnesota so that's not going to happen so now you know sky's the limit any of these guys um, if it's however the hell you just said his name I won't be able to do it because I didn't memorize it if it's Avija I know that's wrong Um, if it's Wiseman I know that's not probable if there's any of these guys I won't necessarily be upset and here's why The Warriors traditionally, man, have had a terrible front office. I've been rooting for this team for too long. Connor busted me out that I was showing my age earlier today when I made some reference to Mookie Blaylock on the team. And every other year going into this, previously. Actually,
0: time, I wasn't, it wasn't the Mookie Blaylock reference. It was you talking about not having the internet and needing to read USA Today to know about the NBA. No, I
1: was in <laughs> Europe. It was what it was, man. They hadn't invented, there wasn't there. I had to read USA Today. And I feel like it was still Mookie Blaylock and the Jason Terry story that pissed you off. But you're, you're throwing me off my game here. What I'm telling you is, it used to be the case. That if the Warriors were in a draft where there was no surefire star who they should absolutely pick, then we knew they were going to end up with a loser. We knew it. You know, it yeah. did, didn't matter who they picked, we knew it was going to be on the other side. That's not true anymore at least in my biased opinion. So I'm do I know it's going to be a vegan? No. Do I know it'll be a crow? No. But do I trust Myers and the rest of this brain trust to do what they should do? I do. I do. Um yeah. and we we couldn't say that before and it's so comforting to say it now.
0: Look, I like I like Avia as much as anyone out there. Nicely said
1: by the way. Man, <laughs> you you are nailing that pronunciation. Uh
0: I like him as much as anyone. Um and I've been, you know, doing these these weekly draft profiles where I get pretty in-depth about their backstory. And then I also do, like, these breakdowns of their strengths and weaknesses. And I end up watching a lot of film. And when I was doing mine on Denny, I just kept having the thought of why is he not up there with LaMala Ball and James Wiseman oh. and, and Anthony Edwards. I think he's very deserving. He He played Meaningful Minutes... For a very good Euroleague team at 19 years old. Yep. Actually, he was 18 for most of the season. So he deserves a ton of credit for that. That is not easy to do. Now He's not Luka
1: Doncic. But I could see him being a guy in type. How does the competition in the Euroleague compare to the competition that Ball faced in Australia, for example? It's significantly better.
0: Yeah, um, The Euroleague is the second best league in the world. Um,
1: That means something, right? I mean, we're looking at two. That should be factored in.
0: Um, The league that ball played in in Australia would probably be considered like maybe the fifth or sixth best league in the world. It's like a notch above Power Five college basketball, but it is not near the Euro League. The Euro League, in some ways, is actually more difficult than the NBA in the sense that. Let's not be crazy. No, look like, the the players aren't as good, but it, it's interesting in that the the stakes are higher in the games. They care more about the regular season than they do um, in the NBA, and they especially with young guys, they're not trying to develop players. They're trying to win games. Yep. It's a totally different mindset. So, for someone like Denny to play. Meaningful minutes is, is a is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it's a testament to his skill set. They're not trying to get him
1: better. No, they they're not they like
0: there's not like an edict from the owner being yeah. like, You have to play this yeah, guy. Like right. it's a it's a different thing. And so, um, and if you look at his team in Israel, he played with Marstadmar, who wasn't former All Star. Uh Tyler Dorsey, who is a solid player for the Hawks. Marsh
1: Dottemeyer still playing basketball somewhere? That's yeah. amazing.
0: He actually didn't even play that much for them.
1: <laughs> Shocking. Uh, he, I mean, he broke but, his back uh, like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. But, hey,
0: he's a former NBA All-Star. Um And so I, I personally think that there's a decent chance that if the Warriors keep the number two pick that they'll end up drafting Denny. Um, I think they just like what he represents. He he'd be a perfect secondary ball handler for him, which is something they need. Yeah. Um, now if it was between Edwards and Denny, I still think they would go Edwards just because of his physical tools. I mean, he he physically is like Dwayne Wade esque. I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, but you can't. I don't think you go wrong with Denny. Um, and it's very possible Denny will end up having a better career. I mean, it's so hard. To project in this draft. I mean, I and I'm having a hard time because every week I'm, like, going down these rabbit holes with a different guy, and I find myself, like, falling in love with all of them because they all have things that are great. Yep. Um, they all have flaws, too. So it's it's hard. to Being a scout would be so hard because you just – how are you supposed to know what makes someone a great NBA player and what doesn't? I look at someone like Killian Hayes, who I wrote about for tomorrow. Killian Hayes – I see a lot of Manu Ginobili in his game. Like oh. I love like how poised he is. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's like he's only 19 years old, and he was the guy on a on a good German league team. Which German league is not as good as the Euro league, but it's still a high level professional basketball. Um, so I don't know, man. Like, there's there's a lot of there, there's a there's no one in this draft that's like Zion. But there are a lot of very good players in this draft.
1: I can tell you that back in the beginning of time, when I was learning basketball news from smoke signals because there was no internet, I was a huge Ginobili fan. So that absolutely speaks to me. Uh, you know, it just just is what it is. Just factually accurate.
0: Bram, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. Uh, it's always fun. This, this, this week is, 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 is true as well. And yes, I ripped off your, 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 uh, your farewell line. Um, and I did it without even trying because I go on your pod so much that it's just like inertia at this point.
1: Well, we'd hope to have you on Remarkably Soon. This was super fun. I love doing it. And it was worth... The unbelievable heat stroke. I am going to need yeah, immediate treatment. so for. we'll we'll head to the hospital now. Please, and, no, uh, that's okay. If you wouldn't mind taking me, I'm not <laughs> going to be able to walk to the car though. Uh, but that that's fine. If you could drive me there, that'd be great.
0: Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com/pot.